Hi, I'm Amelia Bordeaux. Welcome to the Diamond Standard Podcast, Clarity. This is a podcast where we have conversations about macro market themes that impact the diamond commodity and also the wider precious metals market. I am happy to be joined today by Joe Cavatoni, who is um, market strategist for the Americas for the World Gold Council. Joe, welcome. Great to be here, Amelia. Thanks for having me. Thanks for your time. We really appreciate it. I thought we'd just kick off by kind of taking a step back and seeing um, what were the forces that impacted gold in the last half of 2022 so we can see how they are now in the start of 2023. And, and I believe the big one was central bank buying of gold. Yeah, I think you've nailed it. So let's talk about the two factors that have actually uh, done, uh, so that have actually moved the price of gold and done a lot to impact its performance. Number one, like you've said, central bank buying. There was a record setting year in 2022 in terms of the 50 plus years that we tracked the data from uh, official sources. We saw that the, the tonnage that was purchased into the central banking community was at a record high. And um, in terms of the overall level of consumption by the central banks, the uh, number that we have on record for the full year uh, was just about a, uh, a thousand tons of gold that was purchased by the central banking community. So what we really are excited about is that that trend is continuing. But when we look forward uh, into, or sorry, I should say, in addition to the gold that um, was purchased by central banks, what we also saw that was a surprise to the upside were events over the course of 2022, in particular into the second half, around retail buying and actually some of the COVID restrictions that were keeping Chinese retail and jewelry pent up in terms of the demand coming back online. So we did see some surprises there, Germany, China, and the U.S. market. So those two factors were at play, kind of keeping the price momentum up. What was a headwind for us and continues to be the headwind is the story that's on everybody's mind, and that is really uh, the factors that have been dealing with the monetary policy that's being dealt with in the U.S. market. So when rates are moving, when assets are being rotated, when people are looking at that yield curve, the dollar strength or weakness, it actually continues to factor in and continue to put a cap really on the performance for gold in 2022. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, just about a week, week and a half ago, we had the, the latest Fed meeting with September 1 where they paused, but there are uh, economic projections into 2023 um, showed that rates would be higher for longer. If they hike one more 25 basis points this year, it's estimated only 50 basis points of cuts next year instead of 100, which was in the June projection. And that sent U.S. bond yields uh, surging. But when I looked at the gold price, I mean, it didn't really do much at, at the time. And so that you said it's capped. I mean, it's been holding around like 19 20. So it's being underpinned by something despite these high U.S. yields. So, so those factors, so I think the big thing people need to appreciate is that it's a global asset and it's got a varying different types of uh, demand that come up and support it over, over the course of any period that we track. Again, you've got jewelry and consumable gold, you've got technology, you've got investment, and you've got central banks. So when you think about what's been really suffering, if we look at the demand trends, it's really been outflows from ETFs and kind of weakness in terms of the overall demand for gold in, in the context of investment. But you have these moments over the course of 2023, for example, a systemic issue like a banking crisis in March 
led many retail investors in, this, in the U.S. to actually invest in bars and coins mm-hmm. out of a concern and a risk factor. Mm-hmm. And you continue to have this price point. We call it about a 1900 to about a 2000, 2100 level range where that floor, we see central banks continuing to step in and continuing to buy into 2023. So those two factors that are global in nature may be driven by some of the same factors that most of us are looking at gold when we're going to peak in inflation and how we're going to come out of that. But those two factors continue to play out. Now, the emerging market central banks continue to buy. So you see that with China, you see it with Poland, uh, but you also see markets like Singapore and countries like Singapore buying in the into the gold market and actually substantial amounts of flow into 2023. So those factors are kind of keeping us in that floor range at that 1900, 1920 range that you talked to. But again, until we figure out where we're going to land with rates and how the economy in the U.S. is going to come out of this rate hiking environment. And yes, pause last week. Let's see where we go in November and then into 2024. We're going to have that headwind until we know that we've got the protracted hold in rates and then the inevitable rate cuts. Yes. Uh, so it's very interesting. I mean, the consensus of, you know, banks seem to have moved very strongly to a soft landing camp for the U.S. economy this year, but they've been wrong before. And as has the central banks have been, have been wrong before, too, both on inflation and yeah. um, yeah, so it could be a little bit of a wild ride. Um, I guess we can take comfort or gold investors could take comfort from the fact or potential gold investors could take comfort, too, from the fact that it looks like we are at least nearing the peak, you know, Fed funds rate and also in, in the UK as well and, and likely for the ECB. So, well, you know, if we unpack the central bank buying, you know, we, we do an annual survey with central banks. And, and I think it's really fascinating information that's in the survey. It was published in May, June of this year. And I would encourage your listeners to, to take a look at it on our website at gold.org. The survey talks about a lot of different factors. And what's consistent and consistently at the top of the list are inflation concerns by the central banks for their reserve portfolios. So managing that, whether that's a U.S. inflation concern or concerns on their home front. Uh, secondly, they're concerned around liquidity and having that liquidity in their portfolio and the right kind of diversification that comes along with an asset like gold. So when you start to see things that may or may not necessarily be expected and managed in their portfolios, I mean, these are similar factors that you hear from institutional investors, right? right? These are things that are all very interesting. And then the future of the dollar and for that matter, the euro, you know, some of the questions we've asked who is how important will the dollar be and how important will the euro be? And a lot of central banks are signaling that over the next five years, this is not an immediate issue, but over the next five years, you're going to see less of a reliance on just the dollar or just the euro and looking at other ways to diversify the portfolio. Gold's natural for that. So, you know, when I think about the central bank buying, you know, we see a lot of opportunity, in particular in the emerging market developed economy, central banks to continue to buy gold and to continue to make it a key portfolio diversifier, whether it's up or down, in terms right. of the percentage allocation, seven out of 10 are indicating that they're going to increase the allocation in the coming years. And that's, I think, a big signal for us to say, hey, look, that source of demand mm-hmm. is going to continue to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, since you mentioned it, you mentioned institutional investment, uh, institutional investors. How how are they doing? Um, what are they doing? Are they not really participating? Because I'm assuming if they were, we'd really get to new highs between that and the central bank buying. So are they on the sidelines because maybe AI is the shiny ball right now or do you know? 
So I think the way to think about the institutional market is pretty simple. I think the ETF market gives us a little bit of a signal, but it's not the only market to pay attention to. So the first thing is, if you look at exchange-traded funds, and many institutional clients find it easiest and most efficient to go about owning gold exposure through ETFs, you'll see that the U.S. and Europe, which are the two largest markets with about nearly 70 different products to choose from, you'll find that ultimately um, both markets have shown outflows, 3.1 billion year to date in the US and about 6.6 billion of flows out in Europe. Now, if you take that into the total context of the AUM of the market, it's only about 4.8, almost 5% of the market. So it hasn't been as devastating as we thought. And I think what it does is it shines a light into the institutional mindset, which is pair back my exposure, but I'm staying in the gold asset because I need that diversification and that liquidity when I need it. So ultimately, you've got some pairing back of an allocation, so maybe a reduction in the percentage that people have at play. And that's tending to be what we see when we have rate rising environments. People are looking at the opportunity to rotate their portfolios or the opportunity cost of maybe moving around the bonds or equities that they're in, but they're not leaving the asset at all. And actually, anecdotally, the information that we're hearing from institutional investors is they're thinking of, okay, at what point am I re-entering the market? You know, this is a price point that's not scaring people. Yeah, They're yeah. hearing and understanding the natural demands that are coming into play that are keeping that 1900 level firm. Mm-hmm. And they're thinking, okay, what's the next stage and where is the next market move for gold? And at what point do I see the rate environment, the monetary policy clearing up so that I can actually go back to my appropriate allocation for gold, which tends to be a little bit more high than maybe we're seeing today. So probably more along the lines of a 5% level that basically gives you that shock absorber in your portfolio, but then also, you know, that long-term return that comes with gold once we hit this environment where we can see whether we're going to land in recession, soft landing, growth or what it is. So, you know, it's all still being talked about. It's still being dealt with. But I think the big fun signal about gold is that it's still holding firm in institutional portfolios. Again, the ETFs are just a small microcosm of that. The bigger market is that institutional investors buy using bars and they like large bar formats. They use swaps with institutions as well. So what we're seeing and hearing is that holding, waiting, and waiting for that moment to reassess the allocation and likely to up it when it comes uh, to clarity in terms of how we're going to see the monetary policy play out, particularly in the U.S. Well, I would think because gold is capped now, you know, it's interesting, I would think, but I'm not a gold strategist, that when the Fed kind of shifts its language, you know, everyone, that word pivot, right, everybody was using it all year and then, you know, wrong, it kept getting pushed back and pushed back. But when the Fed pivots its language, um, you know, clearly signaling that perhaps the next move is a cut, not a not a pause or not a hike. Um, I would think that that would really lift. Well, it would take, you know, bond yields are going to come down in the U.S. And I would think that that would lift gold. So I would think that some of these investors would want to get in prior to that happening because it is very difficult to time that. But I mean, it really is very difficult to, to time that. So maybe make the strategic allocation now so you can be tactical later. I don't know. But that's kind of what I'm. Well, we, we would we would. Um... We'd love to work with people to talk about the timing of things. But I think what what I think we're picking up from most of the institutional, the, the conversations with institutional investors that we're having is that is that they, they kind of want to time that trot. 
yeah. and, and they, they don't necessarily want a bottom ticket, so to speak, but, but yeah. they're basically making sure that they stay in the asset right now. But I, I think you're right. When, when we start hearing that language and the bond market starts telling us that they're seeing, you know, on the horizon, the rate cuts, that's when we're going to actually see uh, the it'll start with the ETF flows. You'll see it there. And that'll be a daily number we can get our hands on. But then you'll also get the sense of that because the price will start to move. And, and the big market, which is the OTC market, will, will give us that signal as well when we see those flows in the uh, in the secondary. Oh, it's so helpful to know. Thank you. Um, can we just talk a little bit more about gold in a in a portfolio in general? It, it adds. You mentioned it's a hedging component. Um, it's looked at as a, a safe haven, uh, maybe diversification or liquidity, sure. all that. How do how do investors? Yeah, I, I think that people need to understand the basics of what drives the demand. Which again, it's like a consumer or 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 an economic expansion. So when people are increasing their wealth, when people are saving money, when people are making more, which might not be the world we're living in right now, the economic expansion factor plays out and you start to see savings and expense uh, or, or expenditures into things like consumables, jewelry, or you might see people actually buying technology where, where every little thing that we have in our hands and on our desktops all has an element of gold. So that economic expansion works really well uh, to fuel the long-term returns of gold. But then on the flip side, market risk and uncertainty, when assets are being shocked or they're overvalued and they're actually dropping, that safe haven nature kicks in. So you've got those two strategic factors at play. So when we talk to people about the right kind of diversification to bring to your portfolio, we can demonstrate through, for example, the correlation data we have on gold versus equities. They cor it correlates positively in a rising equity environment, mm -hmm. and it correlates negatively in a uh, an economic or an equity market that's declining. So you see the kinds of benefits of fear that actually protect you on the downside, and wealth creation that pull you up on the upside. And over the long term, the returns that gold provides. They're in line with equities. That's a big surprise for a lot of people. But on average, you're seeing these return levels very, very high, 10, 12% in terms of the 10-year, 20-year projections on, on historical returns on gold. And that's actually what is what we want to make sure that people understand is over the long term, it provides returns. Right. And actually, just you know, let's think about it in also in the context of how gold does in a recessionary environment. Again, fear, savings, and preservation of assets. In recessionary time, seven of the last or of the last seven recessions on record, five of them we've had positive returns on gold over the twenty, or I should say, gosh, near fifty years of gold being uh, unpegged. Mm -hmm. uh, you've seen returns in the twenty percent range. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's been excessively large returns, and that's actually a really good signal for people to understand. If we're looking at recession, gold's a great place to be. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, I know. I'm, they're going to start to trot out those peak Fed fund rate versus equity and gold charts soon. Uh, I think they're coming. Yep. So, yeah, very good. I wanted to talk about um, maybe a safe haven status or maybe it's, you know, integration into a portfolio in terms of lowering volatility, just because, you know, as you mentioned, we've had a lot of event risks the last three years. We've had these kind yep. of exogenous shocks that have come to the market that have been relatively unanticipated. 
Um, I don't know how you could anticipate them, but, um, you know, next year we're looking at one that we can anticipate, which is um, the U.S. presidential election. And it seems to me, at least, that the two leading candidates from the two leading parties, you know, they have their niche um, fans and then they have, you know, people that uh, would prefer other people be in charge. So I think it's going to be a little bit of a perhaps a, a rocky road introducing some uncertainty into the market next year. Have you um, looked at gold performance around U.S. election years or anything like that? Yeah, I, I, I think we, we have. Um, I think that, you know, we've got a lot of history uh, that we've analyzed in terms of the reaction short term and then over the longer term as as people taken um, the election outcome and and actually the implications of, of a new or, you know, an existing political party that comes into office. But I think what makes this 2024 election a little complicated is that I think that what we're what we're getting a sense of is that geopolitical risks are probably at, a, you know, most complicated and difficult um, levels to really monitor, like really kind of way up. Like how do you really take a look at what um, the potential for an election year is going to mean to uh, the strength of the dollar, how the, um, the, the, you know, the, the presidential uh, candidates are going to talk about jobs on shore. What is it going to mean for the U S economy? How are they going to influence that short term to potentially, you know, impact and, and influence the outcome of an election that plus how they're going to look at, you know, international relations, how are they going to deal with a very, very sensitive and very complicated China situation, um, it's all very complicated going into 2024, which to, me, which to me leads me to believe that people are going to be very volatile with their choices around assets. Assets will probably have a higher level of volatility. And I would say to you that a gold allocation, like you're seeing, holding firm with an allocation, maybe like you said, it's time to put a little more to work in the gold allocation would be a prudent thing to do to prevent that kind of potential risk of shock to the portfolio as we see how it plays out, whether it's a Republican win or a Democratic win, way too early for any of us to tell even who the candidates will likely be. But the reality is it's going to probably be a choppy year with respect to how those those two parties are going to actually want to talk about, you know, policy and, and, and like really, you know, how are they going to deal with global policy and how's that going to factor into how central banks might be looking at an election outcome and how that's going to drive their flows. Or they're going to look at the strength of the weakness of the dollar. You got to think that people are going to want to be hearing about jobs coming on shore and growth economically in the U.S., a strong dollar. But that's going to come at a cost. That's going to come at a cost of geopolitical risks overseas. So, you know, it just means that when we talk back about things like the wall of worry, you know, you probably put up there again, you know, every time I see it, it has a, you know, election fill in the blank for a country. You know, we've got the U.S. election next year and we've got, you know, seven or eight other elections around the globe. So really leading us into a choppy environment, which means I'd like to have that shock absorber in my portfolio, and I do, and maybe people ought to think about where they have their allocation and how much more they could be potentially putting into the portfolio to smooth things out. Right. It's almost hard to even think about. I think the past three years, obviously, with the, the pandemic, the post-pandemic, trying to anticipate how China, U.S., and their consumers are going to emerge from it, the inflation shocks that we've kind of had around the world sure. that were not transitory. <laughs> Plus, you had the um, you know Russian invasion of 
Ukraine, which then further disrupted energy supply. And so I feel like macro investors, at least, like really want to break. But yet we're not going you know, they're not going to get one next year, as you said, it's probably going to be really choppy because in addition to this uncertain geopolitical, um, you know, forces going forward um, with China, with the Ukraine as well, and in Russia, you also have um, the U.S. election, and then you also have um, kind of the, the federal debt issue here in the United States. Too, which is a lot well, that's a, a great point. Look, I, I think what we have are risk factors that just keep getting moved forward, and, yeah. and actually they need to be managed. I think that, that you've hit the nail on the head in terms of the last few years we've had. We've had uh, the Russian invasion of the Ukraine, we had an unprecedented bank failure speed with which banks failed, right? I mean, that was a shocking moment for us to see a bank fail over the course of a week with Silicon Valley Bank and and three others to follow, and then Credit Suisse as well. So just, I mean, these things are happening quick, fast, and, and actually, you really don't have a lot of time to react to them. So prevention is probably the better way of thinking about it and thinking about maybe just having that buffer ready for the shock that could happen. And yeah, 2024 is going to be uh, uh, probably an interesting and maybe, maybe an easier environment to read from a monetary policy perspective, yeah. but these other risk factors are going to come back into play. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that. I, I agree with you. I'm just saying it's interesting. You, you actually said that, that it could be an easier year to read for monetary policy because I, I, I feel like the consensus like anticipated that for this year, 2023, and they were wrong. And so there's always that. Oh, there's always that chance. Famous last words. We'll get clarity in the beginning of the year, and it'll all be clear for us for the rest of the year. Famous last words. But let let's see how it all plays out. Like, um, but what we what what you've highlighted is that fiscal policy is still on the table. Yeah. And what you've highlighted, which I think we didn't necessarily mention, is Fitch reacted to um, the uh, U.S.'s um, behavior. It was a, it was an element of their downgrade. Uh, fiscal policy and how they're managing it and how they're 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 operating weighed into that that ratings decision and that move to downgrade. Um, and look, let's not also forget that Moody's have put ten additional banks on watch, and that's actually still not resolved. The, there were seven local banks and three larger institutions, maybe not names that people um, have in their household names, but uh, but these are still out there. So it, it's signaling a risk of credit concerns like this prolonged period of time of higher rates, this prolonged period of time of, of costs that are being embedded in the system. So maybe an outcome for for 2024 in terms of a Republican win might be a good one pro-business, but how many companies are suffering right now because of increased cost of capital, right. increased rates, and you know how will they be able to make it through to 2024 and see that outcome? It's not easy. It's a really tricky environment. Um, and an environment where, you know what, the conversation around gold is, is where it needs to be, which is how much, not yes or no to it, how much, maybe less now until we see clarity on the rates, and then maybe more coming into the beginning of the year. Yeah, especially, I'm assuming, I'm not an equity analyst either, I'm a macro analyst, but uh, assuming for the, the tech sector as well, which seems to be leading the charge, you know, in terms of holding. Sure. You know, another point to, to just remind uh, remind the listeners to um, around around the gold market. You know, we we have seen consistency around seasonality for gold, yeah. and that actually is a big thing that's playing out on a global basis. So, you know, we tend to see, you know, India and China, who are the you know two of the largest markets when it comes to consumption of gold, um, but they tend to tear, pale off, tail off in the 
in the tail end of the summer months. But let's see how it plays out into our third quarter numbers for demand trends. And let's see how it continues to play out into particular China, where there's been a lot of noise around China's economy and the markets and risks and concerns. And, and you know, PBOC and others are, are looking to manage all of that information. They had a recent movement in the RMB. They're looking to make sure that that, that, that that's not speculated. Um, and I think that um, let's see how it plays out because there's a market where historically wealth creation and wealth savings has driven demand into gold. But we right. might be seeing a market that's shifting and seeing the dual nature of gold play out pretty, pretty substantially, which is people will save. People will move away from real estate exposure or equity exposure and potentially be investing more allocations into gold. So interesting times and lots of factors people need to take into consideration when they think about that price and that price holding firm at 1900. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be an exciting year next year. I can tell for, for traders and at least for the macro world, it's going to be pretty exciting, I think. And where there's, um, I think where there's challenges, you know, and uncertainty, there's, there's opportunity general. So for sure. Should be very good. Uh, can you talk about a little bit um, the World Gold Council's two, four, seven initiative because we have our diamond commodity our diamond commodity is on the blockchain and i think maybe this 247 initiative has something to do with that as well the blockchain it sure does actually um we're taking um all the right steps as a, an industry organization in coordination with organizations like the lbma and and mining members um and um particular those that are members of the world gold council but in short, what we're looking to do is roll out a program to actually modernize the gold market. That's the simplest way to put it. And that means bringing it into the future using technology to increase trust and transparency and accessibility uh, through tracking and tracing of the data that's, in, that's either getting brought to the market for the first time or already in existence. Mm -hmm. So we have in place a program called Gold 247. And again, it starts with Gold Bar Integrity, which is where we are uh, really uh, pushing to modernize the gold market. And Gold Bar Integrity is simply about bringing the information around gold and the gold market stocks into a digital ledger technology, or simply put, a better way of tracking the inventory of gold worldwide. Mm -hmm. And actually just this week past, I should say, we announced that all members of the World Gold Council have committed to our Gold Bar Integrity Program. They will do two things. Number one, they will, on, at least on an annual basis, disclose uh, the source of their gold and what refiner it's going to, which is a big step forward in starting this tracing of the gold from the source. And number two, that they'll put all of their inventories into this digital ledger technology. Cool. So it's a combination of a change in behavior and improving the process of the gold market, but also using technology to help that happen. So organizations like Exedris and, and Peer Ledger are databases that we're working with to pilot the programs to bring gold into the light and ultimately say, this gold can be tracked and traced from source. And then over time, this is gonna be a long program that we're working on that will lead into the next phases, which will include uh, refiners, transportation, and the storage of the gold and ultimately the trading of the gold so that it can be uh, at the other end of the spectrum when it gets into the hands of an investor, whether it's in a form of an ETF or the investor themselves, they can track the gold all the way from the source and the, and, and the original uh, location of how it got into the market. Our goal is really to dematerialize gold in that way and make it simpler to use, easier to use and trusted and tracked from source. 
Interesting. And so when you say the source, you mean the actual mind that the goals came from, like the initial thing. That's 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 getting all the way back to the source. Now, what we've seen right now in the market around the technology that exists and a lot of the talk around tokenization of gold, that's taking everything that exists today, mm -hmm. right? And just using a simple mechanism. Like, ironically, when you think about digitalizing gold, the, the ETFs did that, right? They basically took a trusted framework around trading 400 ounce bars and they actually they actually democratized it, right? Yeah. And actually put it, in, put it into the limelight of, of being a regulated financial instrument, give you access to a trusted network of large bars amongst you know, the bullion bankers and traders that are happy to trade in it. So it's done already. Now, just using a token to do that again, for us doesn't fix what we think needs fixing, which is really you know, harmonizing gold in a way where it hasn't been in the past. You, know, you have all these different sizes and, 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 and weights and, and shapes, and we want to harmonize that to the best of our ability to do so, and then really put it into a world where you can actually say, I trust it. I don't have to worry about whether or not the bullion bankers can trust it or not, right? I, I can actually feel good about the fact that this gold bar coming through the system is linked in and, and tracked with like a digital code. So really kind of changing the way we're looking at it. So we got to fix the market as much as we want to use the technology to improve access. You know, tokenized in gold is interesting, but it really isn't solving any of the, um, the challenges that we think need to be solved to really modernize the gold market. If you can, can vision and you know, visionize this thing where we dematerialize gold and from the mine site, getting this commitment from our mining members is like the first big step. It's really exciting because they're bringing their gold into the ecosystem and tracking it. And then it leads downstream for us to ultimately get to a world where we can have a digital version of gold that will actually be used by retail investors, institutional investors, and, and even the ecosystem participant, the trading firms and the bullion bankers to use it amongst themselves. So cut down on the amount of movement and actually really have an instrument that can be traded. So as I understand it, what you're saying is gold is, is digitalized and democratized, obviously, for the individual investor by, you know, access to the, the ETF. Yep. Step. And now um, I'm just trying to compare it to our bar a little bit, our bar and coin in the sense that that's on the blockchain. It goes to our ranks, our vault, if the customer or the client chooses to leave it there. And then we have a spot market where they can exchange, if they choose to trade it, buy or sell, they can exchange just the token if it's at ranks, the vault. They don't have to move. That's right. So is that what you're kind of, so when you talk about digitizing gold, now you're talking about like the physical the physical gold because you already have the ETF. Is that what you're kind of? That, that, that's right. And that's right. Look, and the gold is a highly efficient market from a trading perspective. I don't want anybody to get the impression that it doesn't work today. It works no, very efficiently no. today. It trades $150 billion a day worldwide. Very it's highly efficient. But to maximize the value of what you get from the potential blockchain technology, you have an opportunity to really change the way um, the gold market functions. With, by starting and tracking and tracing from the outset, yeah. as opposed to waiting for it to be in bar form to then start to use it in a regulated financial instrument down, down the few chain. You, you can start from, from source all the way through to ultimate consumption, and you can actually have a much better environment for trust and tracing. And yeah. that's what I think is actually where we're excited about the opportunity. Yeah. You know, we're talking about large-scale mining that's basically signing up to our program, and, and then there's this unknown amount of gold that gets mined in artisanal mining, you know, 10 to 20% of annual production. That's the stuff that people should 
look at, and a lot of people don't understand how it works. We don't know if it's being mined using the right kind of standards in line with uh, you know, best practices from the mining community. And that's the stuff right. we're, we're trying to say, hey, look, if, if you want that to really come into the, the mainstream gold market, then you're going to have to change and you're going to have to track and trace with us. So we really want to attack that side of it. If, for the world that we know and the world that we work with with our mining companies, we know they live to the standards that are in line with UN SDGs and our responsible gold mining principles. So we want to encapsulate that and say, this is the stuff to be trusted. This is the gold to be trusted. And that's what the gold bar integrity program and gold 247 in general is looking to do. Yeah, that's, that's incredibly uh, interesting. And it's a big project, but um, it's a well, project is very well, ambitious. Yeah, <laughs> very well, ambitious. Well, it's not going to happen overnight. Right. And it's just not just slapping a token on gold because that's it's not really solving any challenges and 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 actually really making a a a step change in the in the market for for the gold market right if you want a simple access to the gold market you can use a futures contract buy a physical or use the etf if you and if you choose to use a token go ahead but but you're not really using the technology in a way to shift the market um better access and i'm just thinking ahead maybe for future esg concerns by institutions that would be good to, you know, have this in, in place if there's any issue. And in the diamond market, they have the Kimberly process. Um, but, uh, you know, just consumers of, say, jewelry of engagement rings are very, this generation's newer, younger generation, um, Gen Z is very concerned with, you know, where that diamond came from. And so that's a very important part of their, their diamond process buying. And so, you know, the industry is, working, you know, really tracing that provenance. That's right. You know, we, we have a lot of work we've done with our mining members, some great work around re- responsible mining principles, mm-hmm. and, and they're, they're all signed up to uh, adhere to those principles over time. Now they're signing up to saying, yes, and I'm going to disclose where my gold is going in terms of a refiner, and also I'm going to basically make sure my gold gets onto this blockchain. Mm-hmm. So it's really moving at the source, yeah. to your point, and actually giving... Um, like you said, a generation of people who are interested, concerned, maybe the way they're looking at it, but interested to make sure that they know that they can trust where it's coming from. And, and actually, that has to be you know, a world where we're using technology to help with that, because you just can't do it without it. And, and um, even the LBMA are, are looking at how to improve the overall tracking of what they've got in the existing stocks. Now, that yeah, that's what's cool about gold is it never goes away. So we've got to tackle that down in the process as well. Yeah. Um, but these are all kind of really exciting projects and a lot of really exciting work to get uh, to get underway. You know, we, we are the sponsor for GLD and GLDM, which are two of the most successful ETFs in the U.S. market. And we're we're talking about how our gold can be put into these the same data database yeah. and how how we could benefit as a as a user of um of that data you know can we can we be more responsive to questions from regulators can we be understanding where our gold is in terms of different sources of where it's coming from different refiners etc and standardizing all that data so that it can actually be simpler and high and you know harmonized across different markets yeah. so it's exciting it is exciting yeah it's very exciting well i can't wait to speak with you again can you let us know um is there first of all is there anything else that you know, I didn't ask you that you think it's quite important, you know, in the near term for gold. And then where can we find you in the World Gold Council? Sure. I think uh, what I'd say is that everybody needs to understand that global nature of the gold market. We produce a quarterly report, the gold demand trends. And the reason we do 
is while it does look backward, it gives you insight into what it could be looking like forward. And those forward looking ideas are where we're going to give you an indication of what's going to either lift that cap in terms of the rates and the prices or, or actually maybe slow things down. So you got to understand and that comes out every quarter. And I'd encourage everybody to find that at gold.org and within gold.org, our gold hub tab, which is where we have all of our data and our insights. So we'd encourage everybody to take a look at those reports and, and ask us questions and engage us when you're talking about how much of an allocation. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And I hope we can uh, check in with you later in the year, or early next year and, and get more insights. Thank you so thank much. Thank you for the time. Materials presented are not intended to be a recommendation, solicitation, or offer to buy or sell any securities, financial instruments, investments, or to participate in any particular investment strategy. The content and opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and should not be considered as a guarantee of future results, performance, or outcomes. Before acting on any information or content presented herein, you should consult with a qualified financial professional, tax advisor, or legal counsel to determine the suitability, risks, and potential rewards of any investment or financial strategy for your individual circumstances, financial situation, and risk tolerance.